Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. To what we sense the Holy Spirit doing and what we feel the Lord is saying. Now, those are big things to say, um, but we're in church, so we can say those things. We can confidently say that the Lord does speak and he loves speaking to his people. And it's not just... Um, a learning by rote oh once we've understood what God says then we can just apply that to all situations no the Holy Spirit is also um, speaking to us constantly and the Spirit is described as like a wind that blows where he will he just goes wherever he wants and our job as the church is to discern the movement of the Holy Spirit uh, but also um, to learn the story of Scripture to live in the story of Scripture we say so that we can live out of the story of Scripture to contextualize everything um, in the context of Jesus Christ because where Jesus is uh, everything finds its meaning its purpose and its and its um, energy so we're an exciting moment we're just asking that question Lord what are you saying and we feel the Lord has given us um, a picture and the picture is that the scaffoldings come down it literally has uh, is true to say that the scaffolding on the church has come down if you arrive today you will know no different and bless you that's a joyful place to be but if you've been here for the last two years you'll know that the church has been wrapped in scaffolding and we've seen it as a good thing because it's a sign of life it's meant that we've been able to repair the nave roof which is this massive main roof over and above us uh, off the back of repairing the side roofs a couple of years ago so we are now dry and warm and more ecologically friendly the heat is going to be trapped in so we're overjoyed for hopefully decades to come I'm going to say hopefully I'm going to say that in faith for decades to come we will not have to fix leaks in the building may it be so Lord Uh, it's incredible Um, but there was a moment a couple weeks ago where a number of just amazing things happened the scaffold came down which for us felt significant. We had our biggest Sunday, it was 180 people in total, probably 130, 140 adults in the, in the room as well as all the kids and all online. So our biggest ever Sunday. We're consistently breaking 150, 160. I, I'm not someone who just gets obsessed with numbers. Let's be honest, the church needs to grow in this season. There's no point sort of saying the numbers don't matter. The church needs to grow, it's a sign of life. We're not living in an age where um, the surrounding culture will be merciful to a church that cannot stand on its own two feet and grow. So we love that. And it was our biggest Sunday. It was 180. The scaffolding came down. We had a giving Sunday where people just were un- incredibly generous um, with their money. And we don't want to be afraid to talk about that. Um, we raised over £25,000 as a congregation, uh, which is utterly extraordinary. That same week, I'm going to keep going about money because I'm not scared about it um, because it's blessing. But a grant came in for £112,000 towards the hall. We've now raised £275,000 towards renovating the hall if we get another 75,000 pounds we will be able to uh, engage with the first phase of renovating the hall and that means a new roof it means rendering the outside it means services electricity warmth and we get to use it this incredible space that's been there for 130 years but has fallen into disrepair over the last 30 40 years so that happened youth group has launched for the first time not for the first time but I'm, I'm I'm leading youth group and we've done four Mondays and it's been amazingly good fun lots of chocolate uh, lots of campfire um, lots of jokes and an amazing game of um, speed paper scissors stones which I'll explain later if you're interested it is gold if you've got kids who are teenagers looking to entertain them Um, but the point I'm trying to make is we're in this moment where the Lord I think is giving us these pictures that we're in a season shift this is a new thing Uh, the perhaps the first four years the initial chapter of this partnership that we're on since September 2019 
is coming to an end and we're entering a new phase. The church is in a different place. Uh, And the verse we're clinging on to at the moment is from Isaiah where the Lord says to his people, "Um, can you see what I'm doing? It's new. Uh, And those who have eyes to perceive it and ears to hear it get really excited. That was me ad-libbing off the Lord. The verse is actually, um, can can you, uh, the verse is, can I find it? Oh my goodness. See, I am doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? Um, And we feel that we want to focus our attention in this moment on the things that really matter, the distinctively Christian things that are particular to the church. In other words, doing the simple things really, really well and not getting distracted by the things that ultimately are secondary to what it means to be the church. In other words, we want to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to do what he advised us to do. He said over and over again to those who want to follow him, stay sharp wake up, be alert, pay attention, uh, because what I'm doing uh, takes some focused attention and effort. Pray by the Spirit that you'll have eyes to see me. Pray that your ears will hear my shepherd's voice. And as you do that, you come into my presence, amazing things will happen. But it's not assumed. You need to stay sharp and stay alert. And so we're going after four things, and we've been exploring them for the last few weeks. Four things that we really want to pay attention to and prioritize in this season. The first is consecration. Uh, in other words, setting ourselves apart for the Lord. Joshua says to the people before they enter Canaan, it's really, really important that you consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do some amazing things among you. But, but if we are to lay hold of, to stay faithful to uh, the Lord in what he's wanting to do among us and through us in this season it's really important that you have a sense of holy expectancy in other words psalm 24 really clean hands really pure heart psalm 24 says if you want to ascend the hill of the lord uh, you're, you're going to have to have clean hands and pure hearts and how hungry are we for that How thirsty are we for that? How serious are we about wanting to be a consecrated community? In other words, a community that sets itself up, that takes time to ask, what does it look like to spend time with the Lord? What does it look like to expect his presence? Two things in particular. We want to pray that we are wise enough to see what the Lord is doing and by the Spirit strong enough to do what he's asking us to do. I mean, that is the root of the word virtue, by the way. Virtuous just means the man or woman who's able to know what the right thing is to do, in other words, what the Lord is calling them to do, but more than that, actually able to go and do it by the power of the Spirit. And that's our prayer in that season. That's what consecration means. And therefore, we'd like to do things God's way, not our way. Um, There are boundaries. There are commandments. When God says, here are some suggestions for how you might live well and healthily as a community and grow into all that I have for you, don't murder each other. It's a really good idea not to kill each other. Don't steal from each other. Like, don't just, don't just take things that aren't yours. Stop looking at other people's stuff. In the Old Testament, it's oxen, goats, sheep. But in our context, it might be iPhones or jobs or relationships. Stop looking over your shoulder at your neighbours and coveting what they have. Just stop doing that. Start celebrating what I've done in you and through you and how I'm pouring my spirit upon you. Um, have a hunger for life. Don't sleep around. Don't worship dead things instead of living things. There's a whole thing in the Old Testament that says, stop putting little idols or trinkets on your rearview mirror that are superstitious that you're looking for, you know, emergency help for. Yeah, worship the living God. I'm alive. I'm the source of life. Plug yourself into me and you will live. 
When you create idols of the heart, you worship anything other than me, you enter into patterns of death. And my advice to you is do everything you can to plug into the source of life, the living God, worshipping him, worshiping him. In other words, don't, don't um, enter into idolatry. We, uh, Pete said this a few weeks ago, we don't just want to see churches filled with people, we want to see the people of God filled with the presence of God. And therefore, consecration, holiness, expectancy, really paying attention to what, who is the Lord, what does he ask of us, and how can I enter and arrange my life around that, really, really matters. It's not a, an optional extra. When we do that, we enter into a sweet spot. Uh, the Bible has a principle of Sabbath, and we can expect to do less and receive more. When we do things God's way, there is a restfulness, there's a restful fruitfulness that we enter into when we recognize that we are not the ones upon which everything hangs. We get invited into a space, the church, which God is building. And we get to rest in that place and enjoy his presence and enjoy celebrating all that he's doing among us. That is the opposite to doing loads and loads and loads, working really, really hard for very little fruit. That's doing things our way, is trying to correct God or being embarrassed about him or apologizing to him. No, no, no. Let's get out of the way and let God be God in the church. Let's listen to what he's saying, obey him and consecrate ourselves because he would say the same things over his church today as he did over Joshua thousands of years ago. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart for me for tomorrow I am going to do something amazing among you. Someone came into church last week um, and they said, I feel that St. Saviour's is on the brink of something amazing. And I just want to say, I'm not necessarily someone who's given to kind of, and I get that in the church, we can talk about the next thing, the new thing, what's just around the corner, I understand that. But I just want to testify to that. I actually think St. Saviour's is in the midst of the most extraordinary season, if we can see it. And this is just the beginning, we've barely begun. As Churchill said, it's not the end, it's not the beginning of the end, but by God's grace, it might be the end of the beginning. I feel like we're in this place where... Um, uh, we're, just, we're at the beginning of the story. What's the last sentence I'm riffing now, which is always dangerous, of the last battle in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series? You know, it wasn't the end of the story, it was merely the prelude to all the other stories. In fact, the great story, capital T, capital G, capital S, in other words, the story of Christ, the great story was just beginning. And the end of those epic adventures was just the prelude for all that, that, all that there is. In um, 2 Corinthians... which I thought I'd written down, I haven't. But in 2 Corinthians, it says this about Jesus Christ. I promise, you can look it up. It says, um, it says this, ad-libbing, paraphrasing, do my best. It says, um, wherever Jesus is, it's a yes and amen. In other words, wherever Jesus is, there is always more. The message translation that Eugene Peterson translates at a part of Romans says, rejoice when you come to the end of your rope. Like, give thanks when you're, you're at the end of yourself because where you stop, God begins. There's always more of God. And we want to have that kind of heart posture in this place, which is to have a holy expectancy, to consecrate ourselves. In other words, to stay really, really close to Jesus, to do things God's way, because when we do that, amazing things happen. And we're hungry for that in that season. So the first thing that we really want to pay attention to is consecration. Secondly, we want to be really good at confessing our sin. We've just said these words, Almighty God, we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed through negligence, weakness, and our own deliberate fault. That's the Anglican liturgy of um, confession. 
and we don't say it every week, we probably should say it more often because when we don't say it, we're vulnerable to forgetting that we come before God as sinners. Now, I know that word can be triggering and it can be, um, it can be abused and, um, and interpreted in all sorts of different ways. When we talk about sin, there are all sorts of different definitions of sin, but we would be comfortable with these kinds of definitions. I love the definition that Beth reminded ourselves of last week, which was Billy Graham's. He said, sin is anything that falls short of God's will for our lives. Or we might take a definition that Karl Barth liked to use, the great 20th century German theologian. He said, sin is the heart collapsed in on itself. In other words, there's a gravitational tendency in towards myself. And when 7 billion by 2050, 10 billion people on the planet are all living for themselves, you have a few problems. We want to start inhabiting a posture of openness to the spirit to recognize that there's something in me that I need to be very careful about and honest about before God, and it requires regular confession. In other words, I'm a sinner, I come before a holy God, I need forgiveness over and over and over again, and where Jesus is, there is freedom. Sin is also taking our hands out of God's hand and deciding to live life our way. You can take all sorts of patterns, um, but we want to get really good at confessing our sins. Um, Four parts of the journey, I thought this was really helpful from, from Pete a couple of weeks ago. Four parts of the journey of confession that we want to engage with. Number one, we want to confess our sins. In other words, we want to create space to just say before God, and occasionally it might be appropriate, but not always appropriate as long as it's a safe environment, to a trusted friend. Here's, what, here's what's going on in me, and I need to just, just pour it out. I just need to turn on the tap and confess that, that this isn't quite right in my life, and this isn't sitting well with me, and I need to say sorry. Sorry. Um, I love what Beth said. It's really important to repeat it. If Christ is Lord, then confession is never about shame. When we confess our sins, it's not about uh, being ashamed. I loved how Beth put it last week. Um, if things like suicidal ideation or depression uh, or mental health issues, these aren't things to be ashamed of at all. And before Christ, he comes to us and he receives these confessions. And therefore, Beth said, what it is about is acknowledging that they do fall short of God's will for our lives. Not because we're, we should be ashamed, but just because I, it, they act as blockages to the fullness and the abundance of life that is found in Jesus Christ. And we want to get good at coming into his presence and receiving that kind of freedom and liberation uh, from the one who, who calls us friend, who calls us uh, brother, um, uh, who is our Lord and Saviour. So the first part is to confess our sins. Second part, cancel the permission. And the third part is to command the darkness to go. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Did you know that when the Spirit lives in you, in other words, when you're a baptised, believing Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. One of the great criticisms of CEOs is often um, when, when companies or institutions fall apart, you didn't use the authority that you had. And regularly CEOs will say, well, I didn't have the authority. And the board will say, no, you had all authority. You just chose not to use it. And I'd say just a reminder that when the spirit lives in us, we have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's worth reflecting on that. One of the things that we have authority in is in the area of darkness and light. We can command the darkness to flee, to leave, even in ourselves. And we can experience more light, more freedom, more liberation. So confessing our sins, cancelling the permission for the enemy to be at work in our lives or in the work of those in the lives around us. Commanding the darkness to go. Uh, speaking to our souls. The psalmist says, awake my soul and sing. Start speaking to our hearts. Lord, I, I command myself. I, I, I order my life around Jesus 
And I'm just inviting you, Holy Spirit, to recalibrate, reorder me this morning in this place where I'm not feeling totally myself and actually I'm engaging perhaps in patterns and activities that are unhelpful, that fall short of your will for my life. And I'm actually going to exercise that authority in that place. And then finally, we say that ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask for the Holy Spirit's help, always. It's the Spirit who works in our lives to set us free into the freedom which Christ has won. And we want to be really, really good at just asking for it over and over and over again. Jesus says, I'm living water. He says, I'm daily bread. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness learning to rely on daily bread. The manna disappeared in the evening and it came again in the morning. That was 40 years it took them to learn this posture of daily dependency on God. If it was true for the Israelites as Christians, why would it be any different to us? Christ says to us in the Lord's Prayer, thank you for, give us today our daily bread. I say all sorts of things we can ask for, but Lord, would you, would, you, would you fill me by your spirit again afresh today? I'm feeling dry. Come and breathe on me. Uh, pour your spirit into me. Feed me. And we do that again and again and again. There's no shame in that. It shows that we're growing in the knowledge and the love and the understanding of Jesus. So consecrate ourselves. Confess our sin. Thirdly, conviction in the gospel. Gospel literally is from the word evangelion and it means good news. We have really, really, really good news. Do we trust that? And we regularly say that the gospel is good news, not advice. It's something that's been done. It's not something that you need to do. Therefore, it's best defined in terms of gift given, not right earned. And the it's very easy to get that wrong and the church can get it wrong as well and hold me to account as well when I get that wrong. The language isn't quite right, but it's ultimately a free gift given Um, something that we could never earn for ourselves. That's why at Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, that God has built a bridge to us. He's come to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, because we could never ascend to heaven on our own. That's at the heart of the gospel, a newborn baby who's taken on flesh in order to come into creation in order to restore us and redeem us. The gospel is incredibly complicated because sin is incredibly complicated. The gospel is not one thing. We get a number of images or ways to think about the gospel in the Bible. It angles on this saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is vouchsafed unto us by his spirit. So it's a siege that's been lifted in a city. Imagine you're on a city wall and you've been under siege for Weeks, months, maybe even years. And this would have been a daily reality for many people in the ancient world. And then the marauding army leaves and you're on the city walls and you get to tell people in your beleaguered city that they are free. That literally was called an evangelion. It was a proclamation of good news. And the Bible encourages us to think of the gospel in that way. It's like you've been a city under siege and they've gone. Jesus has done something amazing. that The armies of the Lord had dismissed the darkness and you're now free. Here's another way of thinking of the gospel. Lostness. We're more lost than we could possibly imagine. But we're more found than we could ever know in Jesus Christ. Here's another way of thinking of it. We're more guilty than we could possibly know, but we are in Christ more acquitted than we could ever believe. We've been ransomed in Christ and the penalty and the ransom has been paid. We're under, we're under judgment because of sin, but in Christ, all forgiveness, all liberation is offered to us. There's no place for guilt or shame. That has been placed onto him. 
The Bible uses the word wicked. There's a wickedness to sin. There's a darkness. You don't need to look too far in the world or even in our own lives and hearts to notice there are patterns which actually that word isn't yet a million miles from. And yet in Christ, we are made righteous, holy before God. That we've been transferred, the Bible says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That we're utterly helpless. And yet, as I said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to us. We could go on and on and on. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. That's worth reflecting on. You can be biologically alive, but according to the Bible, spiritually dead. But when we accept Jesus Christ and are baptised into his life, we become alive in a new way. Not a better person, not a better life, not living my best life, nothing to do with that. Literally, a new life. That's why the Bible uses the language of new creation, that, that you are utterly new and transformed. You might not feel it, might be very, very ordinary the way you feel. And yet our faith is that God has done something amazing in Jesus, that, that I was dead, but now in Christ, I have been made alive and I am a new creation. There are all sorts of ways to think about it. C.S. Lewis said being a Christian, I love this, I got this from Ed Chanstroud, was a, a reminded me of this last week. C.S. Lewis said, becoming a Christian is a little bit like traveling from Austria to Germany and falling asleep on the train. You, you go to sleep in Austria, you wake up in Germany. When you cross the border, you're not quite sure, but you know you're in a different country. Karl Barth talked about border crossings or different kingdoms. He talked about the strangeness of being a Christian. In other words, there's something about the gospel which reminds us that we're not just living in the same world a better life no we're in a different world it's called the kingdom of God and we're given eyes to see things in a whole new way the reality of Christ at work in our lives so do we have that conviction in the church do I probably not as much as I need so so to to make it really concrete when I when I invite someone to Alpha or the carol service or church I just want to honour those who do that. It shows a confidence in the gospel. In other words, this thing that's in the church, however muddled and however much we get in the way, and I certainly get in the way of it, but it's really transformative. It's completely dynamic. Christ has done something amazing, and I'm going to live as though the gospel really, really matters. Just lastly, because this is an exciting word, recapitulation. I learned this, one of the only things I can remember from theology college, but it's a beautiful word, recapitulation. One of the things I learned, this is a bit abstract, so bear with me, I probably shouldn't have gone here, but that time itself spirals, the word is spirates, around Jesus. Literally, time itself is dynamically in relation to Christ. And therefore, the theologian called Lincoln Harvey, who was teaching me at the time, said that what Jesus has done doesn't just move, his, his saving grace doesn't just move forward in time. It also has the possibility and actually the effect of moving backwards in time. He gave the um, picture of sin as like a tangle. I don't know if you've ever gone fishing and your line gets tangled. It's impossible to undo it. But he said what Christ has done, not only does the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ give us a forward momentum, an expectancy that we're moving towards the wedding feast, that the kingdom of light has arrived, but also it says something over the past, which is that Jesus, and he said this, Jesus goes back down the line and he undoes every single knot and the knottiness becomes undone. That's the, that's the nature of what we're engaged in here, that the past itself is not dead in Christ, that the past itself has a dynamic relation to Jesus Christ. Isn't that mysterious? Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that amazing? We need to recover a conviction in the gospel in this season. Lastly, we want to be a church that takes seriously what it means to champion the next generation. I had the privilege yesterday 
of speaking at Holy Trinity Clapham in a 70-year commemoration event um, for an organization called the Stewards Trust. The Stewards Trust really blessed me and my family when I was young. We used to go on a holiday once a week uh, in a year for about 15 years. I started when I was about 10. And I regularly said that it, that week, that one week out of 52, was the most formative week in my teenage years. Now, it's not true for everyone. This is my story. Uh, I wouldn't talk about it at school. If I'm honest, I was embarrassed and ashamed about it. I wouldn't have called myself a Christian. I came from an incredibly faithful family, but we weren't we didn't go to church every single Sunday. We tended to go on high holy days and occasionally in between. In between. But, but on those weeks, as a young person, I was encouraged. I was prayed for. I, I, I learned to grow in the context of worship. And I said this yesterday at the centenary. For me, the steward's trust was a little bit like a parent. In other words, the older I get, the more I appreciate them. But... At the time when I was a grumpy teenager, never a word of thanks. No idea what was going on. Um, the church that I long to be a part of, this church, the church of God, I long for it to be the kind of place I could say, I'd love for my kids to be formed in this environment. And you don't have to have families to say that. I'd love, I'd love for this to be a place where people who um, don't have immediate family or who are feeling orphaned or lost or single or life is struggling, I'd love them to encounter one of the best images that Jesus gives and St. Paul gives of the church, which is the family of God. This would be a, an environment of encouragement and faith and joy that we would raise up a new generation. Yes, the young, youngsters. We have, to, we have 65 young people in the church. I keep saying that. It's extraordinary to me. We had none four years ago. It's amazing what the Lord is doing amongst the young people. But more than that, all of us would come into an environment of encouragement, faith, praise and thanksgiving. A little bit like a greenhouse. But St. Saviour's would be a place where everyone could just grow and then ultimately go and bless neighbours, work colleagues, their communities. But that this environment be a place where we champion the next generation over and over and over again every single day. The scaffolds come down. We're in a new season. The Lord would say, can you see what I'm doing? It's amazing. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow I'm going to do something incredible. Confess your sin before me to receive liberation and freedom, a bigger space in which to grow into yourself, the person I've always intended for you to be. Recover a conviction in my gospel as good news and start inviting people, telling people, believing that it actually really transforms life as it has transformed yours and mine. And lastly, let's be a place that really takes seriously championing the next generation that the Lord would, would do an amazing thing among our young people and, and in this family we call St. Saviours. Amen? Amen? Brilliant. Why don't we just, um, why don't we stand and just have a moment of, um, a moment just to invite the Holy Spirit to come.